Welcome to episode nine of Redboard Rewind. This week we talk about stake races from Woodbine, as well as Sunday's card at Keeneland. We're flipping the script this week as well, and it's kind of a home game on the program this week as we welcome in Drew Coatney of the In The Money team. This is Redboard Rewind. with episode nine of Red Bull Rewind. Like I said in the intro, we're going to be switching the script around a little bit. We've decided to kind of make this more interactive. Uh, what we're going to start doing is we're going to act as if the races have never happened and we've had notes from before the race happened. And we're going to kind of riff back and forth and talk about what we thought before the race happened. Then we're going to play the race call so everyone can hear along with us. And then we're going to riff about the redboarding stuff, what we thought might have happened, the differences, where we thought we went wrong in wagering, if we wagered the race or not. And I think it's going to be a really interesting new type of idea for this podcast. We encourage you to play along with us with this new style of podcast. So break out those PPs, pull up a chart, and really follow along with us. And if you guys have any questions about the races or want to talk, handicapping angles, anything, my Twitter is at handy underscore capper. And you also have... Peter Thomas Florentel at Looms Boldly. And now I'd like to introduce a member of the In The Money family, Drew Coatney. Drew, how are you doing tonight? Hey, Spencer. I'm doing good. How about yourself? I'm hanging in there. PP's in hand, ready to tackle some of these races. I'm, I'm ready to watch the Lions game right now, watching the NFL countdown. Big Detroit fan, uh, Red Wings, Tigers baseball. We won't talk about that team, but our hopes are on the Lions right now. And if they don't win this Green Bay game, I think we may as well just pack our bags and go home as a city. So let's let's uh, let's root home the Lions tonight. We will sure do that. I had a pretty good weekend in football, uh, close defeat with Texas against Oklahoma, but Houston Texans bringing home the W against a good team in Kansas City. So my sports week has been pretty good. Fantastic. Good to hear. What do you say when we get into these races, Drew? Race number eight at Woodbine. It was the EP Taylor Grade One Mile and a Quarter on the turf course. Where did you decide to go uh, on paper? I was looking at the international shippers here, and looking at the mile and a quarter. They typically, just based on what I see when I follow Ascot or, or other international, they they travel more strongly than you'd expect in the going. So I expected Imperial Charm to carry along, watched a couple of their replays, watched some of uh, Red Tea as well, staying midfield but pressing the issue. And you knew Starship Jubilee was going to be on the lead, but... I thought, again, like if you just had a patient rider who could sit at the trip, be drawn wide outside, and really close into what, again, would be a pressed issue, I think you couldn't do any better than a jockey of Trevor McCarthy sitting there at 21% on the turf with the very capable hands of Graham Motion training this Fairhill horse of secret message um, to, to get the job done. And I was excited to bet on this horse here. Is, again, I think Starship Jubilee is going to lead the pack. And you would have your Euro shippers here pressing the issue, keeping that pace firm and steady there. When I first started looking at this race, I started, of course, with Starship Jubilee. The, the win last out in the Canadian, there was a slow opening fraction. If you look farther back in our PPs last year at the, at the Canadian, big 104 buyer, same as this year. And then she bounced a little bit in the EP Taylor, another, and she ran fourth in that race last year more slow fractions. I thought that she was going to be a vulnerable favorite in this spot. I didn't want to really take a horse with slow fractions, even with the pace looking how it was. I, uh, I ended up on Imperial charm and I kind of played what Jonathan Kinchin calls the JK ladder bet, which was to bet $8 to win, play a couple more dollars for exactas and the last few dollars for trifectas. It's a $14 total bet. The other horses I liked were red tea, uh, CQS Buena, and I thought Gaining had a really good shot in this race. Hey, before we move on here, with Imperial Charm in that ladder bet, so for those exactas and tries, are you putting Imperial Charm in the exact in the second place with Logicals in first? Is that what you're thinking? 
Yeah, so pretty much with what the ladder bet did and with JK's new version of it, I was playing the 1-2-4 over the 7 in the exacta, and then I was playing 1-2-4 over 1-2-4-7 for the trifectas. I got it. I got it. Yeah, and with Starship Jubilee, I'm with you. How can you bet a horseback that, A, has shown the narrative of winning the Canadian, coming back for the E.P. Taylor in the stretch out, and just falling on its face? Great horse. And then comes back again this September in the Canadian, wins it with the slow fractions. And even the horse that went off favored it was Red T. And when you look at Red T's form, she just had looked so good in the last two races. And a nice third and a grade one. She won the grade two, two back. Leading rider from Woodbine into Silva. Everything just pointed to this horse having a good, good race. Yeah, and what, one last thing, Spencer, is gaining. Uh, I love the politics at play here. As a corporate guy myself, as the uh, the proclaimed suit of the ITM media company here, Judmont Farms, Brad Cox. I know Brad Cox now that he's starting to see more business through Judmont on these big stages. It means the world to him. You've heard it on other shows on the podcast here, but I thought we were going to see more, and especially with that first trip uh, on September 12th at Kentucky Downs, exiting that first turn, looked like a hurdler at Cheltenham instead of a flat horse. I thought he was going to get a much better setup and run a little bit better for us. I really thought 10 to one was like off the morning. I was like, there's no way this horse off that crazy. I mean, check first turn. Like you said, looked like a, a jumper and then eight wide. If any horse is ever eight wide in the turf, it's always going to end up being a tough trip. Read that on my PPs. Eight with 11 is a bet. I'm surprised the teller didn't punch that in for me. <laughs> well, why don't we see exactly what happened in this race right now? Off at racing, A.A. Asula's Arch pinged one of the best away nicely are both gaining. Red T and Holy Helena has gone up fast. And as they settle, Imperial Charm is right on the pace as they go into that turn. But Red T's in front. A length to Holy Helena. And as they settle down, Starship Jubilee is right there on the outside, pushing the leader now. And back in fifth position, making ground is Durance, followed by Gaining, a length away Platan. And behind runners on the inside, it is C.K.S. Buena, who's got back in the field, and A.A. Azulazarch the outside, and a length and a half away last is Secret Message. Racing with a narrow advantage on the inside is Red T. Leads the E.P. Taylor field from Starship Jubilee ahead away second. A length and a half away, Imperial Charm and Holy Helena both have a beautiful trip behind. A length, Durance has travelled very relaxed. Behind them is gaining on the inside. A length again to Platan, followed on the inside by C.K.S. Buena, who's third last. Then A.A. Azulazarch and the back marker is Secret Message. About eight lengths covers the field. And Red T in front hasn't had too much pressure by a length to Starship Jubilee. Holy Helena the inside, one to Imperial Charm. Gaining is on the inside of Durance. A length and a half away came C.K.S. Buena and Platan. Second last, A.A. Azulazarch. And last of all is Secret Message. Racing to the half mile, and out in front is Red T by a length Starship Jubilee. Holy Helena's come up nicely on the inside in third. Three parts away, Imperial Charm. A length in behind them, Gaining and Durance. Two lengths away, Platan. Two to A.A. Azulazarch. Well behind them, C.K.S. Buena and and last, Secret Message and Starship Jubilees rocketed up on the outside to hit the front. In the EP, Taylor goes to the lead. Running on his Imperial Charm. Red T under pressure. Down the outside, Durance. Holy Helena's there. Starship Jubilee out by two lengths. Imperial Charm in second. Platan is running on well. Durance on the outside. It is Starship Jubilee inside the final furlong. Starship Jubilee a length and a half. Durance and Platan trying desperately. But Starship Jubilee is the winner. A length to either Durance or Platan. Then Imperial Charm, Holy Helena gaining in CKS Buena, 2-3-29. Starship Jubilee with the win at odds of 7-2. She ran 102 buyers, so she pretty much ran the same race she has ran the Canadian. Drew, what are your thoughts now that we've seen the results of this race? All hats off to the trainer and the job that they did with this horse here. Overcoming the narrative from last year, stretching out for that extra furlong. And getting the job done on the front end, what we kind of thought was going to happen, but I was hoping for someone to gun him down late. I haven't looked at the pace figures yet, but, man, what a performance by Starship Jubilee. My top pick, Imperial Charm, with the ladder bet, obviously just missed the board. But the three horses that I thought were logicals pretty much running in the back half of the field, I was really, really hoping that Christian Landeros would have done different tactics in a way. I thought it was kind of flat for most of the race and then didn't really have much punch in the lane. I feel like a lot of 
horses were really struggling throughout the day to, to create their make their impact felt as a closer, especially with secret message being so far back, the running began and it was almost all too late for that one to make an impact here for me. The one horse that I think looking back at now, red T maybe the form was a little bit misguided. I mean, to see a race like, like this where she, where she finishes in the back half of the field, she led on the rail. The fractions were pretty slow. And I mean, she just didn't keep up at all. Yeah, but misguided when you're getting grade one, grade twos overseas here at some respectable places and behind some respectable horses as well. You really think misguided? Misguided was probably the wrong word there. I just, when a horse like that, you see the good, strong form from overseas, maybe she just didn't like the woodbine surface then at that point because it was a good surface. It wasn't firm, but she just kicked the towel in really to, to me in the top of the stretch. I think it's going to be an interesting lesson. What do you take away from this as you look at it in international shippers coming to Breeders' Cup who have this great form and all of a sudden just can't find the surface? I think for me, it's going to be a lot of rereading a lot of the good international books on racing and just trying to really get a better judge or guide when I'm going towards Breeders' Cup. Let's pivot now to the next race at Woodbine, the grade one, the Pattinson Canadian International. What were your thoughts before the race was run here, Drew? No, I've been looking at, and I wish Peter could correct me on this name, but Piovani, maybe, um, by right. Andrew Balding, sh- shipping over from uh, over across the pond. I looked at this one at Arlington Million, and it got me even more excited to bet this horse when I watched him race Desert Encounter in the Dubai Duty Free Legacy Cup Grade Three in Newberry, when he was ready to pounce and desert encounter just blocked his his lane piovini went down on the inside had to bounce out three more lanes and then just had this deadly turn of foot that almost got him back up after losing three or four lengths in that having to shift through lanes and man was i ready to put my money through the windows on this one with these two logical contenders between zayad and desert encounter and this great rendition of the patterson canadian now, would you have played the horse more on the wind end or more underneath or a mix? I was doing a little bit of a mix. I actually did a dust pick three with Zayad. I thought the class really held up against Desert Encounter and was going to be able to, like I mentioned previously, travel more strongly, keep that gallop going longer to not invite many of the closers into the race. So I was dutching between those two of Zayad and Piovini and hoping to connect my other uh, opinions in the seventh and eighth race that were the stakes at Woodbine that day. For me, it came down to two horses. It wasn't Piovoni. When I see the grade three back-to-back before the million, and I only see one second out of the last three races, I just didn't think the class would really hold up. I ended up on Zayad as the main contender, and then I was trying to find a horse that I could put underneath to allow the exacta to pay something. I ended up on Nessie, another Christian Landeros horse for Ian Wilkes. I like horses that have finished underneath in almost half the starts. They like to hit the board. I thought the race to prep for this, the Northern Dancer, was very, very good. The jockey change was a little bit suspect to me. Zayat had such good form, first in the grade two, second by a neck in a grade one, second by three quarters of a length in the grade two. When you look at Desert Encounter, he won this race last year, but then he just kind of went, he's been running in grade threes and not the higher grade six overseas. I just didn't really know what the plan was bringing him back here, except for that he'd won the race last year. And I thought maybe he was a little over the hill at seven. I completely get that here. And I have a couple of highlights here. When we look back in uh, June of 19, running at Ascot, um, during the Royal Meeting, I believe, running against Crystal Ocean, Magical, and Waldgeist. And then before that, running against Old Persian, which is a old friend of ours from Woodbine a couple weeks ago during the Woodbine Mild Day. Uh, he comes back and starts running against some superior horses in his last three starts. Going back two back, he beat Matterhorn and Accidental Agent, a very respectable horse, as well as going three back, he beat uh, Baghdad. So, I think it's form. I, I, this is a perfect example of form cycle right here, right? Got off form, coming back even stronger and building the momentum for a big day. I think was absolutely pointed for the spot. And man, did he show up? He absolutely did. I think for me, it was it came down to price. Even though Zayed went down, was went off as the favorite. 
I just didn't want to take the second choice at another short price when I already had such a big opinion on Zayad. Why don't we see what happened in this race right now? Locked up, and they're off. Best away, Nessie. Slow desert encounter. Missed it by three lengths. Away well was Ziag coming up on the inside for the lead, and Pumpkin Rumble is on the yard. They go out at a fairly good pace. And as they go into the turn, Ziad from Pumpkin Rumble by a couple of lengths to Piff One on the inside. On the yard, and Nessie from Alanac and Desert Encounter is the early trailer. So Ziad has taken the assertive role and gone out in front as they climb the hill. It's Ziad by a length in the Patterson Canadian International. In second, Pumpkin Rumble on the inside, Piff One. Nessie right behind as Alanac tucks in. And last is Desert Encounter. So now relaxing with the head down is Ziad and Maxime Guillon. And Ziad by a length and a half to Pumpkin Rumble. One away third Piv one on the inside. A length and a half to Nessie shading Alanac and Desert Encounter. Catching a bit of ground now is just a length away last. About six lengths covers the entire field. And racing along inside the mile and doing it nicely. It is still Ziad. Ziad in front. Shows the way by a length to Pumpkin Rumble, one and a half to Pivoine, a length away Nessie on the outside from Alanac, and Desert Encounter is last of all. There's been no shift to position, and it is Ziad on top. Ziad leads the way, and in second position remains Pumpkin Rumble. One away third Pivoine, a length and a half to Nessie and Alanac on the inside, and at the back remains Desert Encounter. Still five lengths first to last, and Ziad in front. Pumpkin Rumble is in range, just a length away as they pick up the pace a little bit. Piv one third, they got out by two lengths. Alanax called up on the inside of Nessie, and two lengths away last is Desert Encounter. Ziad in front, they run to the half mile, leads a half a length Pumpkin Rumble. Piv one saving every inch of ground on the inside, coming after them. A length and a half away is Nessie, followed by Alanac, and still last of all is Desert Encounter. There's been no shift at all, and Ziad in front, about a neck to Pumpkin Rumble as they come inside the final three-eighths. A length away, Piv One. Nessie on the outside. Alanac getting to work. Desert Encounter will have to come from last. Top of the home stretch in the Patterson Canadian International. Ziad in front. Pumpkin Rumble in second. On the inside, Piv One and Alanac finishing on. And Desert Encounter threading through near the inside is flying. And Desert Encounter bursting between runners. What a ride. Andrea Edzeni's come from last and has got it won. Desert Encounter's going to repeat another Patterson Canadian International. Desert Encounter from Alanac, Ziad, Pivoine, Pumpkin Rumble, and Nessie was last. 228.62. Desert Encounter wins the race. 100 buyer, two time back-to-back winner of the Patterson Canadian International. What are your thoughts, Drew? Oh, my gosh. As I was watching Piovini, and maybe the pronunciation's wrong, stalk the trip behind the heavy favorite, Zayad. Oh, my gosh. I thought he was going to just kick on clear. He was had a firm grip until right after the eighth pole and just started to open him up. And I thought, man, we have a good winner here as we start an encounter break slowly. So that closer's out of this, this field. And Zayad's dust. But unfortunately, that wasn't the case. Yeah, tough, tough beat for me. I think the craziest thing for me in both the races we've talked about so far is just how slow the paces were. Twenty six fifty two. I mean, I know it's turf. I know it wasn't firm ground. I mean, Beulah Park horses, I feel like, are running those kind of fractions sometimes. Nessie obviously finished last. Just didn't. Nothing really went right. I guess I was a little bit overzealous and just was trying to find another horse. That wasn't, you know, a, a lower price. She and and uh, he ended up going off at third, third price. So I didn't really do much, you know, digging. Obviously, your horse went off at a much better price, Piavoni. Zayed ran third, just missed by a little bit less than a length. I think that Desert Encounter is going to be a very dangerous horse now in his next race. Yeah, I agree. But I'll put the caveat out to our fan base: What's the lane impact that Desert Encounter traveled through versus? Piovini not being able to make up any ground on that inside, even though we saw his deadly turn of foot before. And Zayad just fades away from this slow fraction. So something doesn't add up here, and I think it requires a little bit further homework, trip analysis, or looking back on the day. What, what are your thoughts there? I think for me it's going to be interesting at where each of these horses pops up again. If yeah. you look at the horses, like the, the top three look really dangerous. The rest of them probably aren't this caliber. I love me some pumpkin rumble. One of our one of our riders for the Daily Gallop, uh, Hunter Uwelling. That's their that's her parents' horse. Uh, Nessie, like I said, didn't run that well. Piavoni, 
kind of had a weird trip in there. Really, the horse that we haven't really talked about is number five, Olenuk. I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong. Just didn't seem to be up for the class. Has had a good race last time out in a grade three. And then ran a really nice second here just to miss by a neck pretty much at 13 to one. I think I'm going to put an asterisk next to every one of these horses that ran and give them another chance back. Or as I had Alanek off my radar, I think the surface was a bit odd. I was surprised that the, the going stick was as yielding as it was indicated. And I'm, I, again, I'm back to, I need to do my homework to see what path bias there might've been on this surface. Cause it just didn't play the way we thought it would. And on that note, let's move over to Keeneland races on Sunday. Uh, race two was a maiden special weight mile and a 16th. What were your thoughts, Drew? There was a couple I loved in this race, and I think I got drawn in like the public. But the biggest thing taking away from this is I saw Enforceable. I saw Three Technique. I saw Basin. I saw all these great horses that Lucky Curlin number six was running behind in previous starts, even in the stretch out to a mile and the eighth out of the spot, being the heavy favorite. Almost at odds on, gets a bit of an equipment change with the blinkers on. All systems go. That's exactly what I thought. But really, one of the biggest things here is I think we fall into a trap too often of three-year-olds, two-year-olds, especially in this case here, early on in their career, falling into the trap of the company they keep reflects the class of the horse. But it's such a volatile performance from horse to horse at that young of an age as they continue to improve or just step off that we really can't take the class as much as you could for say an established five or six year old coming overseas uh, and running in the breeders cup and has Volsgeist and enabled that they're chasing behind, right? Those are established forms of these older horses. Whereas these two year olds and even into the three year old seasons, it's just such a volatile thing. I think it's a huge trap that, uh, you can fall into here, but man, did it look good for Lucky Curlin to have all systems to go. When you look at the class level, obviously, like you said, Basin 3 Technique by your side. The horse had actually been working out really well after that race for Cassie. Cassie has a great stat. First time blinkers, 23% positive ROI. I ended up on the number three bank. I really like a horse that kind of stays on after being in, in a hot pace and the fractions and the time form pace ratings tell me that he was in a, in a fast, in a fast pace race. 63 buyer was pretty much the second best lucky curl one ran a 68, two back elite class ran a 73, but that was also off slow fraction. So if you go back to like Mike Maloney, the ability times that horse Troy to me ran more like a high 60. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense there. And one of the things I always try and look at in a stretch out is what their workouts are doing, what their pattern is. And I see that now. I was kind of like, oh, come on, Spencer. Like, it's just a bunch of four furlong, half, halfway done workouts. But there is a five furlong, and this may have been the, the goal all along. It's a stretch out on August 18th. Ran a pretty quick one at a minute, almost flat at five furlong. So all the sense in the world to me, especially for this Bernardini Colt. Banks seemed to be the horse that I really wanted. Elite class. I know I just talked about the fractions. He drifted up on the toe board from two to one to three to one. Any thought on that, Drew? Yeah, I think they knew. Um, they knew being uh, August 24th when the horse first stretched out from seven furlongs to the full mile. The, so the fractions were insanely soft, going 24 and 48 and then 112, and then just getting headed at the end. Um, I think going out to a mile and an eighth at the, or excuse me, a mile and the 16th in this race uh, at Keeneland, it's a very dangerous spot. You're going to have a lot of horses really vying for the lead here. I just didn't see the horse fitting on paper, and I think they knew. And I'm glad I was against that horse to begin with. Well, let's see if they knew on the race call right now. They're off. There's Celtic Mischief for the lead, along with Elite Class. Lucky Curlin going to join them. Checkmite up on the far outside. Moves up now. There goes Checkmite to get the lead, heading into the first turn. 
Elite Class going to be second. Lucky Carlin is in third. Trading up is in fourth position. Don Bourbon, three lanes off the rail in fifth. Celtic Mischief moves up one spot from sixth into fifth between horses. Further back, Lido Legacy and Bank to complete the field. 23.92 seconds the time for the opening quarter. Checkmite leads it by two lengths onto the back stretch. Lucky Curlin outward from the rail is second by almost a full length. Elite class third by two lengths. Don Bourbon fourth ahead. Then Celtic Mischief fifth back toward the inside. Lido Legacy trading up and Bank is the trailer. Checkmite Guides the field up the back stretch. Leads it by a length and a half. Lucky Curlin second by a neck to the outside. Elite class moving in a closer third. Then a gap of two and a half more back to Celtic Mischief. It was 47.69 seconds the time for the opening half mile. Check might. The leader by a length of the far turn. Lucky Curlin elite class trying to bear down behind the leader. Gap of two more lengths then. Around the turn, back to Lido Legacy on the outside, and Celtic Mischief, who's fifth. Lido Legacy has gone to fourth. The leader's at the quarter pole, though. It is Checkmite, who leads it by two lengths. Lucky Curlin, second and a half length. Elite Class looks toward the inside third. Lido Legacy needs to find more. Still five lengths off the lead in the fourth position. Lucky Curlin, Elite Class move on either side of Checkmite. Into the final furlong in the short stretch. Checkmite has the lead. Elite Class is trying to move through to the inside, but Checkmite has the admission by, by a half length by a neck elite class is still trying down to the line look to be checkmite by a nose on the wire that will be a photo for the win hold all tickets so as we all know checkmite was the winner nice healthy price 11 to 1 improved right about 25 points 72 buyer for the win what are your thoughts drew Let's start with Lucky Curling first at the top of the stretch. I thought, man, we got ourselves a winner here. It's just going to kick on clear, but hit a wall. Hit a wall of some sort. I don't know if they're going to have to regroup this one, bring it back, cut it back. But, oh, it's traveling so well. Got excited. When we look at Checkmite here, I again, it's like, wow, this one was somewhat obvious. Of uh, Street Sense Colt, $310,000 sale, almost 2X the sire average. And Rudy Brissett. 20% second career race for these horses. We should have expected a little bit bigger of a pickup there. I think the main miss for me, I love doing maiden races. A lot of people have always said that their hardest races are maiden. So I've tried to start off my whole career by learning maiden races is the opening three workouts after that uh, opening race were 48s. And then the last workout was a 47 and four. So Rudolph Brissett, who also underrated trainer really tightened the screws on this horse and 11 to 1, when you look at the rest of the field, is kind of a gift. Lucky Curlin just didn't really have it. Elite class made a really, really nice run, even with the drop uh, in the ability figures that I thought. This horse still ran a 72, so he pretty much ran the same race back again and just didn't have enough to catch a lone leader. My main pick, Bank, got off to a terrible start. And when you see a horse that can stay on on fast fractions, I would really call these slow fractions, 23 and 4, 47 and 3, but a better start would have for sure helped my cause. Yeah, yeah, and I should have been looking for consequences, right? We said elite class had a easy lead, the easy fractions on August 24th. Oh, and look who he ran against with those easy fractions and almost held on to win. Checkmite. I'm guessing that was a warm-up. He sat back realized it was a little too far back to even make an impact in the race and just folded it up, getting ready for the big day, two races from now. So, wow, did we not really see that one? I think another horse, too, the fourth place finisher, Lido Legacy for Dwayne Lucas, really, really improved off the surface switch, went from a 43 to a 67, and he didn't really get off to the best start either and he hasn't been one to get off at a good start he launched the break on his debut as well which kind of instantly made me want to toss him not only that Dwayne lucas not the best with two-year-olds only three percent out of 111 starters Lido legacy might be one next time out you're probably not going to get the same price 19 to 1 but with a Dwayne horse you might get eight seven to one don't let this one beat you and now we're on to the third race at keeneland it was a starter allowance for fifty thousand, going a mile and 16th on the turf course Drew, what were your thoughts? I think I think the first question is like, where was my thoughts in this race? I thought value was a plenty in this one. All of the logical favorites had a very slim margin. 
against any of these horses here. I think there was a lot of upside horses, and that's where I was looking to put my money through the windows, is trying to figure out where I can find value because I did respect armchair of jockey, a bit drawn too far outside for me, and there was really no speed. Um, I couldn't find any to to really make of anything except for the three horse that might get away clear and be loose on the lead, but otherwise I was just looking for value. These are my favorite races. Starter allowances, I don't feel like it's people don't understand that it's not so much a buyer speed figure thing to look at. It's more of a class. Uh, James Quinn has the conditioning class book. I don't know if that's the exact appropriate title. It, in the starter chapter, he talks about how you should try and look for horses that have raced at or above whatever the tag is for the race and then find horses that have won or had really good close seconds. So my main horse was untraceable, had just won for 40, 35,000 and not winner of two. Thomas Van Berg, not the best coming right back with wins, but he has a great, great turf stat, 24%, $3 ROI. The workout after the race wasn't that bad. I also liked a little bit of the seven and the 11. The 11, Phil D'Amato, for people who don't know my early career from writing, I did uh, Scott Shapiro's website. And Philip D'Amato back in 2015 was winning a lot of turf races out on the Southern Coast. So I'm someone I never, ever leave off my tickets in these type of races. Yeah, I was big on the seven for a while as well, but just couldn't take the variability that was going on. I know he won three back at 78 to one and was mm-hmm. at the morning line of 20 to one. And I continued to see that price drift up. And someone on my Twitter made a great point. Hey, be paying attention to value plays as the guys at the grade one gamble over at Keeneland are going to be making moves. And I didn't see anything on the probables or any of the pools that I could look into. So I shied away from that one a little bit as hedging those folks in the grade one gamble are a little bit smarter than I am. And I ended up landing on the nine logical myth thinking, man, is this one going to be fit here? Um, But I looked back at some of the workout tabs. It looked to be this horse was working well enough and could bring it on home at that kind of same logic you had there look running at the same class got a fresher is three years old and has ricardo santana jr who i've got some trust in but as we can see here a little cold on the board at 16 uh runners and has not won a race yet hopefully he changes that around one last note here on logical myth had good company i mean ran against fairway uh kitten uh, in May of uh, 2019, and also Demolchier um, at Keeneland over the spring. So not keeping terrible class, I thought he was going to be able to get the job done. For me, there's two other points I like to make. Logical myth, I am a diehard Ricardo Santana fan. He is one of my favorite riders at Saratoga. When he's this ice cold, I just try and stay away till I see him on a couple of Steve Asmussen's horses where he gets a couple wins under his belt. He just seems to be a much like streaky rider, kind of like Louis Saez is in a way for me. The main thing in this where you talk about value C, my sixth sense, the number two horse, was going to go off favored. This horse had never turfed before. In every single handicapping book you've ever read, don't pick horses that are doing something for the first time. Big field, never turfed, street sense out, out of a Mount Livermore horse. Just doesn't seem to be anything turf in there. And this, this horse just was an absolute play against, and I was just hoping that my three could stay on the lead and just go all the way. And now let's send it to the race call. Moon launch from in between horses, untraceable there toward the inside, and two Emmys also has early speed. Untraceable gets over to the rail, has the early lead, three quarters of a length, heading down to the first turn. Two Emmys is in the second position. Logical Myth moves up there as well into this early battle, but gets over to the rail behind the front foursome. Untraceable has the early lead by just a length, midway on the first turn. There goes Thirsty Betrayal, wide around the turn, moving up now to challenge two Emmys, who's between horses in second, just a half length off the lead. Further back, Moon Launch drops back into the fourth spot. Logical Myth is in fifth on the back stretch. And then my sixth 
Sense, who is sixth on the outside ahead. Believe in Holidays is seventh. King of Candy, eighth. Armchair Jockey is ninth. Dollar Blue is tenth. A Little Vodka, eleventh. And Salvatore Mundi, last of the twelve. 22.86 at the quarter, 47.07 seconds for the opening half mile. Untraceable, leading two Emmys by two lengths to the far turn. Thirsty Betrayal, third ahead to the outside of Moon Launch in fourth. Logical Myth, Between Horses, fifth. Believe in Holidays is sixth down toward the inside. My sixth sense is seventh, looking toward the center of the course and running eight lengths off the lead. King of Candy is in some traffic, tries to find running room and starts to thread the needle, although seven lengths off the leader. At the quarter pole, Untraceable, leading two Emmys off the far turn, and then a gap of five back to Moon Launch. Believe in Holidays, Logical Myth. King of Horse, some running room. Armchair Jockey in my sixth sense, still far back on the far outside. Untraceable, and two Emmys coming from the outside. Two Emmys, Untraceable going at it. Believe in Holidays goes to third. Untraceable and two Emmys continue their tussle at the line. Head bobbing photo for the win. Either untraceable or two Emmys. Man, what a close photo that was, but it ended up being untraceable was the winner. Two Emmys running second, and believe in the holidays was third. Drew, thoughts on the on the results? Uh, if I had a whole a winning ticket here with that sixty-five to one. Number six, two Emmys in that close photo. Oh, I felt a little heartburn for some of those people out there. Uh, but I know you said you went untraceable, so I, I was holding my breath for you as well. I, I think when I look back at this race, and I, I ended up, I know we didn't talk about it in the preview, but I ended up with a 3711 exacta box. Another mistake is when a horse is six, almost seven to one. Bet the horse on the nose to win first before you start going into the exotics. I could, I was such a doofus to not even put any win money on this horse. I thought the two Emmys ho- horse was very interesting, lightly raced McLean Robertson, 21% on the turf, really good sprint to route number 30 to one. Wasn't too far out of it. Just needed to show a little bit more in the tank thoughts on the second place finish. Drew. Drew. Let's clarify your morning line 31 drifted up to the highest price of the board at 64 to one here. And man, when you will go back and look at the stats, you're like, wow, that's says, you know, we, we talk about this being a wide open value field. Heck, would it really hurt you to put $2 just on the, on the nose to win? And as you talk about not putting the bet on untraceable to win, I really struggle with those type of situations where you're getting six to one in such a wide open field. I mean, when my betting personality comes to it, I'm looking for those one or two big scores throughout the year, and you're getting six to one. You know, to really make a dent in your bankroll, you're going to have to put a decent amount of money for it in a wide-open event that anything can happen. And as my horse and the the nine were coming down the lane, man, they played bumper cars with the, each other a little bit. Even on the head-on, it looked a little bit not as bad as it probably could have been. But I'm excited to bet back the nine logical myth who went off at roughly 15 to one, excuse me, no, drifted up to 28 to one. I'm excited to bet this one back. I think it's going to be even more fit. I think we're going to have a great trip on our hands as well. I think if you get Santana back in the saddle, it will be all to go for that horse. My, my betting style was so different from other people because everyone nowadays likes to play pick fours, pick fives. I'm such an old school handicapper from reading all the old books from the seventies and eighties before all this stuff kind of happened. So when I first look through a race and I find my contenders, I first do a value line. I try and find logical win prices. If it's a really short price, maybe even place and show to just make, make my little, you know, 35, 40 cents here or there. And then I start looking at horizontal or verticals and then horizontals. So I, I really don't even look at the pick fours and pick fives. My bankroll isn't big enough to really play those to where if I lose 20 of them in a row, I'm going to be tapped out. And I just, I like to have a bankroll and I, the, the win, the win money is there on this horse. The horse paid a solid 1580 and two Emmys. If he'd better across the board, 54, 20 in second and 26 to come in third. Isn't bad. No, it isn't. It sure, it sure isn't. And I can respect that. And the other thing that you'd mentioned was my sixth sense of the two who went off the tepid favorite. I think it dispels this myth. I think the, in the money players podcast now, I don't know if we can go on because Mike Maker used to be able to put anyone in a horse suit and potentially win a race. And Spencer, you and I are not be able to join that horse uh, 
you know, in a horse suit and win this race. Cause the, my success went off to try and win that as his first turf race. And man came up flat, didn't he? I think that now we're just going to go podcast by podcast. It'll probably still work for JK and Pete, but it's definitely not going to work on my podcast. I've kind of put the hex now on Mike maker. I find it interesting that this horse got bet down uh, so much without a race in the turf. What do you think people were looking at that made this horse the favorite? I don't know. Maybe they saw JK and Pete out there in horse suits running well, but uh, <laughs> I, I think, I think when you see a trainer try to try the turf a couple times and it gets rained off and it runs respectable, I think there's some pause there. Maybe that was the intention all along and you got Javi on board. I mean, at an amazing clip of 39% at the Keeneland meet and the, I mean, just the breeding makes a bit of sense there too. So I think that's what they were after. What's your what's your take on that? I think people saw Mike Maker and they know he's a very good turf trainer and they know that he's good, you know, bringing horses out to longer distances. Obviously, his horse was only stretching out a little bit longer. Whenever I hear Mike Maker in the local OTB, everyone's like, they'll only bet him on turf. They never really want to bet him on the dirt. So it might have just been one of those. Obviously, this this also goes to show you were talking about Javier's 34 39%. People just bet jockeys. They still do. It's I, like I've said in other shows, my aunt at Saratoga, just Todd Pletcher, Johnny V. I mean, if he's in nine races, she has nine across the board bets on those horses without even looking at the past performances. Do you have any of those kind of, you know, jockey trainers that you just like, you really like to bet? I completely agree with you, right? You, you, you have some jockey trainers that you just rely on. And at an Arlington Million guy myself, that was Flo. Hope he heals quick, as we heard he had a spill over the weekend training. But when he was out at Arlington Million, you just kind of put your money on Florent Giroux, and you were off to the races. Make sure you key him up, and he's going to be somewhere in that one, two, three spot. Because, you know, people, the, the best jockeys are going to get the best mounts. So probability is in their favor. But, man, the situation did not work out well for Javi and Mike Maker. I think something I'm going to possibly do in the future is maybe a blog post for in the money. I'm going to just look at all the starter allowance races throughout the week and just see if I can see anything to that, you know, old James Quinn book and see if it is more of a class level thing than anything to possibly, you know, this horse won it seven to one. Obviously there's different stuff going on, obviously with the surface change with the favorite, but any other thoughts on this race, Drew, or are we good to move on to the next race? No, I'm good. I'm good. I just watched the Lions do a flea flicker for a 70-yard pass. Let's go to the sixth race here at Keeneland. On to the sixth race at Keeneland. This is a $75,000 non-winners of two allowance, five and a half furlongs. What were your thoughts on this, Drew? Yeah, I, Stillwater Cove towered over this field here. I I always cling on to some of JK's thoughts here, and one of those is if you can find a horse that in these sprints can run fast early and still find fast pace figures at the end of this race, especially in these uh, turf sprints, that's where your money wants to be. And that's what I saw in Stillwater Cove. Was at Kentucky down last out, was on the pace, but just got outbeat by Morticia, Alexandra, some really – uh, respectable horses. I think that was a little bit too far for Stillwater Cove. Gets the cut back to where he's run, excuse me, where she's run some of her best numbers. I thought this one was going to win all the way. My other backup in here was awesome figure. Brendan Walsh has just been on fire. Again, another speedy horse drawn to the inside. I thought it was going to clear this field, hold on, and just keep going on. I, th I think Awesome Figure was a very interesting horse, obviously going back and forth from turf to dirt, turf to dirt. Were you worried at all about the layoff? You know, I was for a little bit and then saw the 90-day shipper, saw some good workouts in there. And, you know, it, it's a four-year-old. If it were a three-year-old, three I may have given it a little bit more pause, but I assumed with Brendan Walsh and being as as hot as he is, he's not going to send out a horse that's not ready to run in this type of situation. I ended up going to the number two sensible myth, Rusty Arnold train, Floron Drew in the irons. I just really liked the last race. She had ran seventh out of 12, but she only got beat by three lengths. She is one who kind of horse that trained, uh, trainer Rusty Arnold, I think had liked coming into that, coming in off his first start. 
And the price was really where I was just really locked on. 12 to 1, I thought. If I could have hooked her up with Stillwater Cove, that would have been my backup play to play a 5 over the 2 exacted. But I was really going to hammer the 2 on a win bet in this race. Yeah, you and Sean Borman were on the same wavelength as he gave out the sensible, uh, yeah, sensible myth on the Keeneland Select Players podcast. I like this one too. I ended up doing a cold exact of five, two and also a cold exact of five, four. I thought we were going to have some good money here uh, with those two. I agree with everything you said. Let us see if me and Drew are right in this race. Here's the call. Awesome figure goes out running for the early lead. Dominette is there toward the inside. VJ's bet comes away running in third. Stillwater Cove is fourth in between horses. Paperclip moves by from fifth up into the third to the far outside. Novo Azul sixth out in the center of the course. Tobago toward the center of the pack is between horses in seventh. Change of control is eighth. Focused is a wide ninth to the far turn. Sensible Myth is tenth. Flat Meadow eleventh. And Libby Knows last of the twelve, but right there with the pack, 21.72 seconds was the time for the opening quarter. Awesome figure, VJ's bat, one, two, separated by a neck paper clip. A length off the front pair in third as they turn for home. Novo Azul is next, focused, is on the outside, Flat Meadow out in the center of the course. Dominess down toward the inside, looking for some running room. Stillwater Cove is moving up now toward the outside with Novo Azul. Stillwater Cove, Novo Azul in second. Stillwater Cove comes bursting through the crowd for Jose Ortiz. It is Stillwater Cove just sprinting clear in the final strides. Late run from change of control. Stillwater Cove wins at change of control, was home second, and then it was Sensible Miss who rallied between horses third. Dominette was fourth. So Stillwater Cove gets it done as the even money favorite. 92 buyer on the race. We end up getting split through, and Awesome Figure didn't really run 100% to what we had thought. Thoughts on Awesome Figure, and maybe on the second horse, change of control as well. Awesome Figure tipping out in the stretch. Looked like a workout, shaking the reins a little bit. Realized the the horse was empty, I guess. Um, I, tr- I trust Corey Lanner. He knew what he was doing there. The horse was on the lead, working hard for him. And maybe just wasn't fit after that long layoff, as you mentioned. I'm looking forward to that in the one back, though. I, I It ran well enough for me, albeit the last place finish. I think it was a treated workout. It's a let's prep to see what's next. Um, your other question here on the other horse, I didn't actually look at it, but I will talk about Stillwater Cove. I was shocked not to see the horse on, on the lead. I thought, oh, my goodness, what are we doing here? Another slow place race. We're going to have a, a loose on the leader winner. And, man, did Jose know what he was doing. We'll just put it at that, and Jose, we trust. I I think one nice thing, an awesome figure uh, with layoffs, didn't didn't win on debut last year at Keeneland, but then slowly started to get better. Took him up to three starts to get the win. The, the race in between was a nice third. So I think with Awesome Figure, maybe not next time, but the time after, I'm looking forward to seeing if they can find him a spot where runs in the money, improves the figure a little bit, and then maybe that third time will go on the attack and hopefully can find a nice price on that one. Sensible Myth, I thought, ran perfectly fine. Just a little bit. Sure, and definitely not good enough. Stillwater Cove was exactly what we what we thought she was. Any thoughts on any other horses in this race, Drew? Yeah, Sensible Myth. I believe Tyler Gaffleon picked up that Mountain Man. What a ride, Sensible, or he gave Sensible Myth. Um, she was positioned perfectly, and Tyler decided to take her right behind Stillwater Cove, who he thought was going to win the race, and man, did he bet right at the tip of the stretch. And just got hurted. Watch that head on. I I believe I counted seven bumps back and forth, back and forth. I think it really dulled the effort. I think you're going to get much better on the third off the layoff for Rusty Arnold. I think, again, I'm giving out a lot of next bets, but all systems are going sensible for myth, depending on where this horse shows up and what class level this ownership group wants to bite off. So with Stillwater Cove going off the even money, is this a horse that, now that you've seen the result, would you kind of bet this horse at even money? Obviously, we're redboarding now. But seeing that and me going after Sensible Myth, I still wish I had maybe put a little bit extra money on Stillwater Cove on the win end. And it goes back to betting personality here. I've read a lot of the buyer books. I've read a lot of books on value here. I like to bet a little to win a lot. 
and I'm sure not going to lay that much money on Stillwater Cove or bet that much money on Stillwater Cove to make enough money. I'm fine letting this one go. I think Stillwater Cove was definitely the best horse and proved that he was, that she was, excuse me. But again, I'm not ready to take even money on who knows what could happen if this horse hits trouble in that trip like our number two did, Sensible Myth. I think another interesting thing is the number seven change of control finishing second at 10 to one. I think something that I just had missed with her. If you look at Stillwater Cove, they're both coming out of stakes races. So when I look at these top two, I see that they're both coming out of stake races. I should have definitely given the class edge, obviously to Stillwater Cove, but change of control also has a bit of a class edge over all these allowance horses. I agree. And, and I'm watching the replay as we're talking here, and yeah, he ran. She ran second. Oh man, this is going to get me in trouble. She ran second here, um, but man, was it a narrow second? And I, I think just got the trip. But if you do dig back in the PPs, you do see this one did run May 11th at Churchill Downs in a in a listed stakes. Got the job done at 35 to one. Then they got rained off the turf. Ran an ugh effort that came back again in another list of stakes, ran a good race, and then gets the prep here and the big race at Keeneland. We probably should have saw this one coming a little bit more. I think that we still have made a very good bet with Sensible Myth. You can't have them all. We got split this time out. I think that uh, when you look at it from a betting type, this is going to happen. You're going to get split. This is why we record keep. If this ha- if you bet this race a hundred times, do we probably have the exact X amount of times? I think that it's still a very good bet that we had, you know, nine to one. And we got beat by a neck, so really that all comes down to the variance and the luck factor for me, not so much that it was bad handicapping. Yeah, I agree. I agree, and and I think I think uh, again, I I still wouldn't put the win bet on uh, on Stillwater Cove. Uh, I think the price was too short, and a million things going to happen, and as we saw. Some of our very logical second-place contenders got that bad trip that we were talking about. 100% agree. A big thank you to my guest, Drew Coatney, for helping us out on the maiden voyage of this new format here on Redboard Rewind. Uh, just some stuff I want to get off my chest for the Daily Gallup, my, .net, my website. Uh, once again, everything is free over there. We have stake previews, Keeneland's going, uh, Santania's going a couple weeks before Breeders' Cup. One thing that we've been doing the last couple of weeks is we've been doing a head-to-head competition. We uh, Monday night draw different pools for everyone to, to do voting in. We do a poll for which track we're going to play. This is all going to be happening each Saturday for the Daily Gallup. If you end up being the highest percentage voter, you end up in the championship match against our champion, who right now is uh, at Thorough Picks on there. He's a local tout from Saratoga Springs. And it's just a load of fun. We have about 20 people going right now, including myself and a bunch of other guys from the Gallup. Really fun matchups. Sooner or later, we're going to start doing power rankings uh, each week based on a couple guys from the site who aren't really involved. And it's going to be a ton of fun. So please, if you're interested in joining the contender list, please uh, contact either me at handy underscore capper or at the Daily Gallup. This show has been a production of In The Money Media. Our president is Peter Thomas Fornital. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. And in the Money Media, business manager is Drew Coatney. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl, and we will see you next time.